When I was uh, 17, I played football for a, a men's football team, and I foolishly said to guys on a training evening, I can save any penalty you, you kick at me. I can save it. And uh, this guy stepped up, kicked the ball as hard as he could. I saved it, but I broke my wrist. So... Uh, I'm glad that story has I saved it, because yes. if I'd have broken my wrist <laughs> and the ball had gone in, not such an exciting story, but I saved it. And it's interesting that prior to that, I didn't go around really thinking about my wrist and thinking, wow, it works so well, and I can pick things up, and it's flexible. I didn't think about it being pain-free and it doing what it needed to do. But after I broke it or shattered a piece of bone off it, my wrist was drawing attention to itself all the time. I was aware of my wrist because something was wrong with my wrist. And that's true of our body, isn't it? We don't really notice our knees are working well unless previously our knees weren't working well. We, we don't really think about our, our respiratory system, our heart, the body functioning until there's something gone wrong with it and we go to the doctors and it screams out there's something wrong with me. And so we don't really take notice of our body unless it's calling out and pointing out something. And we are often not aware that our soul has something that feels maybe a little like toothache. We're often aware of our physical body but how often are we aware of our soul that calls out all the time, I'm in pain. There's something wrong with me. I need fixing. Like, I don't know if you've had toothache. I've not had toothache, but toothache screams out there, something wrong, get to the dentist. And that our soul can cry out and say, there's something incredibly wrong with me that needs Fixing. And so in this account in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 on the body, Paul ends chapter 12 by talking about being eager for the spiritual gifts. Being eager, being hungry, wanting to grow in these things, but at the same time not in competition for the so-called important parts. And there's something about competition and comparison and performance that is coming from a soul that's actually in agony. And so Paul is saying in these verses, don't compete for the so-called important parts. I want to tell you there's a better way. Because there's something that needs to be met in us. Like, if your wrist is hurting because you saved the ball, there's something that needs meeting, fixing, repairing. And sometimes as believers we can think, actually the desire for worthiness and specialness and purpose and identity, these are not really legitimate needs and we push them down. But the soul cries out and says, actually I'm in agony, I'm in pain, I've got two fake, unless these real needs for purpose and significance and worth, are actually met. And so an unmet need within us 
is what is causing the soul to all the time be drawing attention to itself and say, there's something wrong with me that needs fixing. And sometimes we can try and get that thing fixed through competing for the so-called important parts. We can think there's a leadership ladder I need to climb so that I can get the important parts so that then that ache in my soul can be addressed. Sometimes it just manifests through we connect every experience and every conversation and everything that happens with our identity. It can manifest like this, I feel ignored. It's the soul aching, I feel ignored, I don't feel seen. It can be, you walk into a room and your soul cries out, I feel stupid in this environment. I don't fit here, I'm stupid. It can manifest as, I'm just, we put ourselves down and the soul aches and says, don't let anybody see you, because they'll be disappointed with you. Or it can manifest as, I feel superior, I'm better than everyone else in the room, I'm more significant, I'm more this or more that. The soul draws attention to itself and makes us controlled by what other people think. The soul is saying, I ache, so you need to get restoration or healing or breakthrough by somehow getting people to think of you in a certain way. It can happen or it can manifest through, what are you always trying to prove? Sometimes you can spot a stronghold that Paul talks about, you know, strongholds of the mind, areas of fortification where uh, the enemy can work out from. You can find a stronghold by, what am I trying to prove? But Paul says there's an answer for this. And he says, I will show you the most excellent way. Or Paul would say, I want to guide you to a better way. Or Paul would say, you know that ache that you feel, that pain in the soul, that toothache, that thing that's always drawing attention to itself, he would say, I've got the cure for that. I've got something that can break through that. I've got the cure for the painful identity or the painful soul. And we talk about this all the time, but identity of being beloved children of God and being sons and daughters connected to the good, good father is the cure for the painful soul. And there's other things can kind of dampen it for a moment, but they don't really address the deep underlying reasons for the pain that's in the soul. And so identity, getting healed in our identity is key on an individual, personal level to heal the toothache of the soul. And getting healed in our identity is the only way that the body of Christ can actually function. Some people might ask, how does it work? You know, you're saying there's authority for people, not over people, that there aren't people who are bosses giving commands, instructions and orders, then how does this work if we're not competing for the more important places? 
And Paul goes on to say that there is a cure, it's identity, but it's an experience of love. Amen. So these verses really are saying this, it really doesn't matter how amazing you and I become. It's what these incredible verses on love are talking about. It doesn't matter how amazing you come, become. You know, have you ever daydreamed? You know, baseball in America. Have you ever daydreamed about hitting the fantasy home run at work? Have you ever found yourself drifting off and you're you're fantasizing about, wow, I could be teacher of the year, and I go up and I get my award for my innovations, or. There's a book I wrote and it's a bestseller and I'm on the front of Time magazine and they're asking me, how did you come up with these amazing revelations? Is anybody else, am I just, (laughs) am I just talking about 30% of my life? (laughs) Doesn't matter how amazing you become. Doesn't matter how powerful your words become. We believe in declarations. We believe breakthrough happens on the back of what we say. And in these verses on love, Paul says, it doesn't matter even if your words are so powerful, you can move mountains. And we believe that the, the tongue is the rudder, and we do believe you can declare. And we've seen people healed through a declaration on a text message. But he says, it doesn't matter how amazing or how powerful your words are or your actions, you'll remain empty, hidden and in pain without experiencing love. Love is the powerhouse behind a revelation of identity. That we remain hidden and empty in pain. Have you ever dreamt or you've had a prophetic word from God about what he's going to do. And then suddenly you find yourself in the moment that you dreamt about for years. And you do it. And afterwards your soul is still feeling in pain. Amen. That is still Amen. feeling empty, hidden and in pain. Amen. And you thought that would be that. Amen. And you find out all across life it doesn't quite give you what you were longing for. And so Paul says, I want to tell you about a better way to live, a better way to see healing to your soul, a better way to do community, a better way to do life, a better way to do church. And that better way is the way of love. To love really well. The truth is, though, we cannot give away what we don't have. You can't give it away. You can't give away that kind of love when our soul is in agony and connecting every conversation, every experience, everything we do, every ambition we have to try and heal the pain of our own heart. We can't give it away. But his love fills the emptiness. Connecting to his love fills the emptiness. Because these descriptions of love, that love is patient, love is kind, love doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't dishonour, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always perseveres. This is not just a new law for humanity. This is a revelation of the God of love. That God loves like this. That God is patient. That God is kind. That God will never, ever, ever, ever give up on you. That's the kind of love that God has for us. That he's always expectant for you. He's always rejoicing over you. Now his love keeps no record of wrongs. His love deals with the past and regret. His love casts out the fear of the future. This is the kind of love that God loves us with. And so if we're going to get our soul healed so that we're not in pain, so that we can not, as it were, compete, compare, perform, so that we can be fully seen, we need first to be loved by God. We first need to experience this kind of love. That we are, you are the beloved. The way the Father loved Jesus is the way the Father loves you. Amen. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us how to pray. In other words, teach us about this relationship you have with the Father. Teach us about this connection, this intimacy you have with the Father. And Holy Spirit comes to lead us into that kind of relationship with God, where we are the beloved. And this love gives us value. This love fills our tanks for worth and security. We need these things. We can't squash them down and say, I don't need significance, I don't need worth, I don't need to to have purpose. You need them. They're a fundamental human need. And his love meets us in that and gives us value, worth and security. We are seated with him in heavenly places. You can't get any higher. <laughs> so it breaks competition and comparison because everyone gets seated in heavenly places. No one can get any higher than anyone. If, if, we were, if the gospel, the good news, was a movie, where would the cross come in the film? Is it, is it the climax of the movie? Does the all roll ends at the resurrection? Cross of Jesus is right slap bang, I think, right in the middle of the film. Act one, perfect unity, perfect connection, Adam and Eve enjoying God, enjoying purpose, enjoying specialness, Enjoying fully being seen and known, knowing one another and knowing God. Temptation, the choice to rebel and not trust comes in, leads into Act 2, which is people really separated from God and trying to live according to rules and regulations that don't quite work, that they couldn't quite keep the whole rules, all the laws. The promises, yeah, right in the beginning of the story is from the foundation of the world, there's going to come one who's going to die on behalf of all the people. 
the middle of the movie, Jesus dies for humanity. The curtain is ripped into to reconnect us to everything and more of what Adam and Eve lost for us through their rebellion. But the, the climax of the story, the very climax of the story, the, the kind of Luke Skywalker blasting the photon torpedoes into the Death Star and it blows up and the Empire is defeated at the end of Star Wars is the wedding feast. The new heaven, new earth. This is the big climax to the great story that God is writing on the earth today. And so whilst identity and love can be experienced now, there's still an ache for something more because even though we can taste and touch and experience the reality of the age to come now, and it comes in more glory to glory, faith to faith, there's always more, we're always growing, we're always discovering, we're always experiencing more, there's an ultimate ache of the soul that can't yet be met until the great climax, which is the wedding feast, where we see him face to face. And that's, that's the great journey we're on. And so there's always, that's like Paul said, I long to be with Christ in Philippians. If I stay here, it's going to mean fruit for you. But if I would get to choose where I want to be, I want to be with Christ. I want to be in that moment. I want to be in that face-to-face encounter. I want to be in that moment of complete connection, that moment of undivided attention and affection where my utter longing can be completely filled by being with him. And that's what we taste and we taste these moments here on earth. We taste them and we we have them in worship, we have them in personal times with God, we have them in moments where he just fills a room and we feel it. And it causes us to long, ultimately, for the, 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 the finish that's coming. But we can taste love now. And we can enjoy increasing revelation of identity now. We can, as it were, draw from the future and draw it into today. That's why we're in that dual location. I'm seated with him in heavenly places, and I'm here on earth. I'm seated with him, and I've got fruitful work to do on earth. But this love that we're tasting, we can taste it now, it makes us increasingly happy with ourselves. It increasingly heals the ache. It increasingly dulls the pain. And what it does is it compels us to be increasingly seen and known and be who we were made to be. That's what love does. It takes us out of the shadows. It takes us out of hiding. It takes us into a place where we can be who God made us to be. And it's when love compels us to be seen, because we're secure, and we're not connecting everything to ourselves, and we become self-forgetful. One of the markers of what love does, it makes us self-forgetful. It's what identity does. It, it, it increasingly silences the nagging voice of what do they think of you 
Do you look clever? Do you look intelligent? Are you enough? It silences that voice so that we can be seen and so that who we are can flow out and benefit people around us and be who we were made to be. We, we watched Bohemian Rhapsody yesterday, the movie of Queen. And honestly, I thought if, if I was on my own, I could, have, I could have just wept because I just felt this emotion in the last scene when you see them acting or singing at Wembley Arena or Wembley Stadium for Live Aid in 1985. And Freddie Mercury is just being who he was made to be. In that moment, he's, he's being... In that sense, as a performer, there's something of how he was created to be as this artist, this performer, this person who engaged the audience. You think, wow, this, there's something beautiful about when people just are seen, when the comparison, the competition breaks up and they're just saying, this is who I am, this is who God, I'm bringing who I am. I'm being who you made me to be, God, for the benefit of others. And it, there's something beautiful when it flows out. Is no longer competing for the so-called important parts. It's just, I am who I am. I'm, I'm going to be hospitable with supernatural hospitality. I'm going to be merciful or kind or I'm going to pursue justice. I'm going to be an artist or a creator or a creative. I'm going to be who you made me to be. And love does that. It takes us out of the shadows of hiding and performing and, and allows us to have the courage to say, this is who I am and this is what I bring to the body. And it flows out to other people. And his love, his love convinces us that the good, good father is so attentive to our wants and our needs. To our dreams and our longings. That he's so attentive, he's so more interested in them than we are even interested in them. He's so more invested in them than even we are. And when we know him and we're connected to him, it empowers us to be self-forgetful. We think, wow, it is safe to be self-forgetful. I can trust you, that you know what I long for, you know what I need, you know what, you know what I was born for, and you open doors that no man can shut. You are so invested in me that I can be completely self-forgetful about me having to make it happen for myself. Because I'm not an orphan any longer, just fighting, scraping, struggling, hustling to get what I need. Because I know that you see me and you're attentive to me and you want me to be fulfilled and blessed and, and all those things more than I even do. And so I can be completely self-forgetful. I don't have to connect it all to myself. I can let go of me first. It's what love does. It sets us free from me first. It shifts the focus from personal preferences. It shifts it to what would benefit the body more. Without having any sense of, I'll have less and I'll be less. And his love causes us to embrace the messiness of, of, doing, of doing family and doing church and doing life together. His love helps us make the hard choices to stay in and work through, to never give up, to never keep hoping, to never, keep, to never stop believing. His love 
causes us to all the time have this sense of, I won't give up on you. I'll keep believing in you. I'll keep having an expectation towards you. I'll keep encouraging you. I'll keep connected to you. Love does that. I'm going to pray for us for really encounters with with his love. Because that's the gospel is connection to love. Jesus Christ is the good news. Jesus is the gospel. It's not a message about what Jesus did. It's a message about what Jesus did so that we connect to the Godhead. We must never settle for anything less than a deep connection to God that heals our aches and heals our longings and increasingly heals the ache of our soul that longs for significance and specialness and worth. So I'm just going to invite us to stand.